Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So the next two episodes are going to fascinate you. We are talking about disability and technology advances and how, obviously, technology can improve the lives of people living with disabilities. So I wanted to just introduce this topic um, by talking about uh, the legally blind or blind technology um, innovations in accessibility. So in our world, we call this assistive technology and assistive technology can be, it, it just is such a range of helpers from a, a reader for uh, books on tape to braille, to all kinds of apps on the computer now, to a little button switch that my daughter used to use to be able to turn on a recording to say something that she wanted to say. There are so many amazing things. I work with a young man in his 20s who uses iGaze software to spell out words and to make sentences and it speaks for him. And I've known this young man for you know, 12 or 13 years, I think. And I've been assisting him in all kinds of things. It's amazing how much this technology has changed since he was 13 years old and I first met him. And he was learning how to use this assistive technology to give him a voice where he didn't have any. Fascinating. It's gone from this device that had to be plugged in, that had to be charged up, that had to be somehow, you know, connected by a wire to the internet to now being virtual and bigger. And it flips around and it's got a reader on the back of it so that somebody that he is talking to can hear it as well as read it. So this is a such a multi use device. It's got smart technology now, which it never did before in the early days. And it can make assumptions about the words that he is trying to say and produce those words for him so that he can speak faster and be part of a conversation that moves at conversational pace. And in the area of blindness, there's no shortage of innovation over the last you know, decade or 15 years in accessibility and assistive technology. There's been quite a few exciting advances being made by leading tech companies. So let me just give you a couple of examples of that. Google builds out Chrome's visual accessibility features in 2019, Google set out to fix the problem that screen readers, which are instrumental to blind web users, um, were not able to read images when they weren't properly labeled. So at that time, the assistive technology would be unable to tell the user what exactly is being shown on their screen. Now the search engine giants new visual accessibility feature borrows 
machine learning technology from other Google products to better recognize information contained in images that are unlabeled. So although this is not perfect technology, the idea is exciting and it is making pace every year um, in improving. All right, and now to Amazon, the other giant. Um, Amazon launched the show and tell feature of its digital home assistant device. And with show and tell, blind and low vision customers can hold up an item to the Echo show camera and ask, Alexa, what am I holding? Can you imagine how awesome that is? And Alexa will help them identify the item through advanced computer vision and machine learning technologies to recognize the object. Devices like Alexa are already making great accessibility companions in people's homes, and they can connect to communication devices like iPads very quickly and easily bring important information to the user. All right. Next big giant, let's talk about Microsoft and gaming. So think about those handheld controllers and how cumbersome they are. But in 2019, Microsoft introduced a suite of eyes first games, which are playable using only eye, move, eye movement. Remember I was telling you about my young man that I support and how he uses eye gaze technology with his his communication device. Um, so people with speech and mobility disabilities can face limitations in communicating and using computer technology to play games. And most of the games online now are collaborative, meaning that you can play with other people that you don't know. So with this innovation, the Windows 10 eye control, these limitations can be addressed. All right, last but not least, the Harvard Astronomy Lab. I love this one. Brings the beauty of space to the visually impaired. So for years, Harvard's Clay Telescope has given visitors uh, an unbelievable view of planets and stars and faraway skies. And now they're focused on bringing that to those who can't see it in a traditional way. So the school is offering cutting edge technologies to visitors with vision impairments, which is capable of translating light into sound. Yeah, I don't pretend to understand this, but the concept is just mind blowing to me. Astronomy is a very visual science. So it's important to be able to include a person with visual impairment in that visual experience. They can actually literally listen to the stars that they can't see. Fascinating. Okay. I'm sorry. I do have one more that I wanted to share with you. And this is um, New York City Public Transit is piloting new accessibility features and innovations. For example, it's testing a number of new low-tech features at a Brooklyn subway stop in an effort to learn more about how public transit can be made more accessible to riders with disabilities. Braille and tactile signage, interactive station maps, and multiple cell phone apps aimed to assist the visually impaired navigate the stations. And diagrams will also be posted throughout the station informing riders who rely on elevators and escalators 
how to exit in case of an outage. So obviously, these types of initiatives and innovations are critical to ensuring that people with disabilities are able to live as independently as possible, um, whether it's traveling around in your city, whether it's being able to do online gaming, whether it's to be able to visually experience or audibly experience the stars in, a, in a, an astronomy lab um, and, and so much more. Um, the Echo user, the Alexa user um, interface that Amazon has is amazing. So being able to hold up an object and say, hey, Alexa, what is this? What am I holding? Wow. So these are only a few of the technologies that are, you know, bridging the gap for people with disabilities. My guest today is Ange Anderson, who comes to us all the way from the UK. She is a therapist and has a master's in education. Um, she opened and led an innovative specialist school in North Wales for 10 years, introducing over 20 different therapeutic technological interventions to support pupils with learning differences. She's written a number of books on therapeutic and technological interventions, including VR, virtual reality, AR, and AI. Trampolining for children and young people, music, sound, and vibration, and learning through play. She represents or presents technological uh, subject matters internationally on topics that relate to special education, um, especially supporting children and adults with neurodiversity. She's also a special education needs called SEN advisor for a global VR community. Our conversation was fascinating and mind-blowing because virtual reality is changing the way we facilitate learning. And um, we talked about what that looked like as I was trying to get a visual of it all. So please enjoy this podcast. Next week, I have another podcast on technology, and I am dying to hear what you think about all of this. Hope you enjoy the episode. Here we go. Today we have a topic that I am not at all familiar with, but I'm very excited to have Ange Anderson here with me. And she is coming from, you know, halfway around the globe, at least it seems that way to me. I'm super excited to talk about this and learn more. And I always say I'm the luckiest gal in the world. I get to interview people on topics that I have an interest in. So I just get to explore all the things that I'm fascinated by, by doing this through the podcast. So I'm so lucky. So I want to welcome Ange. Welcome to the show. Hi, nice to meet you and great to be on the show. Um, yes. uh, it's, it's a really good show. I've listened to lots of um, the episodes and very impressed. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. We try really hard to get a lot of topics of interest and this one is definitely going to be pique people's interest. So Ange is here to talk about virtual reality. And um, 
some AI and some different things. And this is just going to knock your socks off. So, Ange, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this area? Um, I was until just before the pandemic head of a, a, a special school for students. Um, aged between 2 and 11, with conditions ranging from profound and multiple learning difficulties, PMLD, severe learning difficulties, SLD, attention deficiency, hyperactive disorder, ADHD, complex needs, and EBD, emotional behavioural difficulties. And 75% of the students had autism, either as a primary or secondary diagnosis. Ah. I introduced over 25 different therapeutic and technological interventions and innovations in, into the school um, that I first of all researched extensively. And we were a leading specialist school in Wales, in the UK, which is where I'm from, because of the effect that they had on our students. I'm now an SAN advisor um, for a global VR company, virtual reality, and I'm also an advisor specializing in therapeutic and technological interventions and innovations for those who are neurodivergent in schools and for families in the UK. I'm a writer of books about those therapies and technologies, plus I constantly write articles and papers related to those interventions. I have a website and a YouTube channel, and I do respond to parents who ask me to do a video or blog on a specific topic that they wish to know more about. Oh, wow. First of all, when do you sleep? <laughs> you are one busy lady. <laughs> That's true. I am busy, but I enjoy it. So, you know. That's fascinating. And I definitely will, for our audience, put all of your contact information in the show notes so that people will know how to reach you to go to your LinkedIn profile or your Facebook or check you That's out. I mean, it, it's, it's basically, if you do go to angeandersontherapeutic.co.uk, it's got links to everything on there, my YouTube yeah. channel and everything. Yeah. So we definitely will want to make sure people can get there and check you out. So we will do that. Great. So now that we know a little bit about your background, um, let's just start. I'm just fascinated with this topic of how virtual reality can be used to support students um, with the special needs that you've mentioned. So can you, I guess we have to take a step back and just explain what VR really is. So can you start there? Yes, um, the term VR was coined by Jaron Lanier in 1987, and um, he defined it as a computer-generated interactive three-dimensional environment in which a person is immersed immersed in his book the dawn of the new everything he goes on to give it 47 different definitions oh, um, virtual reality is really going to um, a different world really it's mm -hmm. about not being here it's about being somewhere else you know okay so what led you down the path of exploring this to support your students? Um, well, in the school where I was head, all of our students were neurodiverse with a diagnosis ranging from, as I've said, severe learning disabilities to complex and profound. And many of our students found transition difficult and some would have meltdowns going to the dentist or catching a train, crossing a road, going to a supermarket. And many were also anxious and they had fears and phobias. 
Well, VR can help reduce anxieties and prepare students for real-life situations and transitions that they fear. I would say that our own private inner worlds can be full of anxieties, hopes and desires that may not be met by traditional education, which is designed to meet the needs of the economy and the outside world. The traditional way of learning is often based on memorising certain facts and formulas and regurgitating them for exams. But in this technological age, we can access more information from the internet in an instant than we could ever memorise in a lifetime. So in my many years as head teacher of a special school, a major concern for myself and staff with the communication difficulties and the mental health challenges students suffered as a result of their conditions and also because of the neurotypical world outside of themselves that they have to contend with. So what I suggested is that we use technology to help neurodivergence gain control in a neurotypical world. Students with learning differences, in my experience, have shown high levels of comfort with technology for many reasons. Computer programs are predictable, logical, and can provide an intellectual outfit for those with specialised interests. We found that our students, born into the fourth industrial revolution, were comfortable with technology. What they did find uncomfortable, though, was actual real-life situations, and I wanted to find out Mm. how we could use the technology they liked to make life easier for parents and staff, but more importantly for those students. How could we use the technology they seem to enjoy to make real-life situations easier? The technology entails presenting our senses with a computer-generated virtual environment. VR activates the motor cortex in our sensory system in a way that's similar to a real-life experience. VR gives us the concept of presence, the feeling of being in that virtual environment, and our brain's way of telling us that the experience is real. Multi-sensory rooms are already popular in special schools in the UK, where students can go into a multi-sensory room and learn about colours and numbers and interact with these images. In the spring of 2016, I asked the innovative technology firm in the UK, OMI, OMI, to install their 360-degree multi-sensory room. But I wanted it with a difference. I didn't need the maths and literacy backgrounds they had. We had whiteboards in the classroom that would do that, interactive whiteboards. I did want the relaxing beach scenes they had and similar scenes so that students could benefit from them and meditate on them. That was a a separate thing. But I also wanted the background scenes that I'd asked parents to suggest and request. Omi agreed to try, and in the summer recess, they installed a multi-sensory room and some 3D interactive background scenes but they were a German shopping mall, a European underground, and we felt we needed scenes to be more personalised for our locality and our students. So Army agreed to train our staff in producing our own 360-degree scenes. Oh, wow. Okay. So then what did you find the outcome was? How did the students do with that? And what what were the benefits that you were finding from that? Well, VR has been of huge benefit, enabling students to go to places they previously couldn't. We have all experienced a student rewinding a video time and time again when we have videos <laughs> to help them make sense of a confusing world. We've sure. seen students not willing to let go of an incident until it has the outcome that they expected it to have. Why not use that knowledge to recreate virtual reality situations where they can play back a scene as often as they need to until until they feel comfortable enough 
to visit its real life counterpart. Yeah, so let's explore that a little bit because in your book, you talk about using VR to help teach children real world skills, which seems kind of backwards to me. So if we are thinking about somebody using VR, we picture like, you know, the headset on and or or the, you know, the vision goggles where people are looking at things. Basically, you know, the opposite of being in the real world. So how can your VR work help students develop some real world social skills? Well, that's a good question. There are many, many VR apps now that will help students understand emotions, for example. Just go on YouTube to sample some. One that springs to mind is Meeting Strangers in the Metaverse, which is directed at teenagers and you wear a headset for that. But VR hasn't got to mean wearing a headset. VR enables a student to practice an experience that would not be possible in real life. I know, for instance, of a college currently in, in the UK using VR for students to practice work experience situations before they actually go there. The whole of the shop floor in, in a, in a um, particular work experience can be experienced in the safety of the school beforehand. We right. use the VR room for transition we, we in school used the VR room for transition for those who couldn't face leaving our school to go to visit the new secondary school. But by visiting that school in the VR room and meeting its staff in our VR room, their anxiety levels were reduced. And once they became familiar with that school, with meeting the staff regularly in our VR room, with going on the bus ride in our VR room, they felt actually able to visit the school. And we had a hundred percent success for transition, and we hadn't had that before using VR. So I know that um, we talked a little bit about things like you know the expense of this, but I'm thinking about uh, an autism school that I know that does a phenomenal job of trying to introduce students to these real world situations. Exactly what you're talking about. And they've built a whole room that looks like a dentist office. They've that's built right, another room right. that looks yeah. like a store. That's you could right. never do that for all the situations. Exactly, so, exactly. But you can in the VR room, yeah. Right, right. So what kind of expense are you looking at for a school or any kind of service agency that wants to use this technique, which is fascinating to me, to well, introduce uh, students. Well, to be honest, um, I don't know what the schools are like in, in um, America, but certainly in the UK, most special schools have a, a multi-sensory room. So that's um, a screen, 3D, um, you know, on three walls, and they go in there and they may do, maybe um, have some maths on the wall um, or it's a topic related to the topic they're doing in class. Now, to me... Right. That's not cost effective. You have to be using it for something that is going to aid your students who have these fears and phobias and meltdowns and so on. And if you've got children like that, which special schools have, you see, we, you know, we don't have children with them um, that you would. That I can't see any sense in using those rooms for something you would do in your own classroom with an interactive whiteboard or even on their iPads because all of my students have their own iPad. So this, this room is, is specifically to help reduce anxieties, reduce phobias, 
enable social skills, enable these students to actually start building up their own little library of social situations in their brain, because that's what students who are neurodiverse, particularly with autism, do. That's why they keep having to rewind and go over things. They are developing their neural pathways. They are creating a schema in their brain. And you are helping them do this by doing it through virtual reality. And I'm, I'm following along here, and that is really fascinating. So you are able to do this 2,000 times if you need to if before a student is yeah, ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's repurposing or adding additional purpose to a room primarily that's probably already there in most situations, correct? Yes, yes, yes. So um, I think you asked me what, about what the room looked like. And the results mm-hmm. we got, yeah. Well, the staff and parents voted for learning to cross the local road as the first VR experience. Now, students had experienced difficulties when they were expected to wait at the local pedestrian crossing, which had a waiting mm-hmm. time of three minutes. Well, three minutes is quite a long time to wait for students who are already anxious, especially when you think about it, at a road crossing where traffic are. So one of our HLTAs, Helen, brilliant um, Helen Wilson, visited the local crossing. She took 360-degree photos. She made recordings of all the signs encountered there. And Samantha, our technology lead, transferred these onto the program on the VR computer that was connected to the rest of the VR equipment in the multi-sensory room. This produced a seamless 3D version of the crossing with relevant signs and actions projected onto the three walls of the room so that students were surrounded by a real-life situation but in the safety of the school. It was decided that 30 students aged from 7-11 would benefit from this opportunity and consent forms plus useful information were sent on to the parents They all consented to the trial. The panoramic view of the junction was projected onto the three walls. The coloured spots on the floor were beams of light projected from the ceiling, and each had an image attached along with an accompanying sound where relevant. These were activated by the student, with or without support, passing a handheld controller across the appropriate colour to break the beam and set the action up. Handheld controls and haptics can determine the level of vibrations used so that students who are blind can actually experience virtual reality because VR doesn't stand for a visual reality, but virtual reality. And so it's possible to create a virtual reality of what some students have to encounter on a daily basis, perhaps if, re- if required, using auditory input and haptic input more if they've got different, if they've got different disabilities. Transmitters and receivers on the walls would enable an immersive experience that was very real. Each student would be offered an individual session of 10 to 15 minutes in length once a week, spanning a period in this instance of eight weeks. These sessions were split into three stages. And during this time, each student was encouraged to act out crossing the road with it all around them and using the things that they had. They were required to listen out for all the sights and sounds. They learned how to press the button to control and activate the traffic light system. And they learned to wait patiently as they looked and listened continually because there was traffic all around them. The immersive room experience is very real. It allows students to explore and experience situations as if they were actually present there. At the third stage, the students were taken to the actual crossing to see whether the VR session had been successful or not in helping them cross the road in a safe and timely manner. 
they had a 100% success rate. The VRU has been used to create many scenarios since. For instance, one of our boys was always late for school because his parents had to do a two-mile detour every day, there and back, to avoid any traffic lights on the way to and from school. If they tried to drive that a route to school where there were traffic lights, he'd have a behavioural meltdown that was dangerous in the confined space of a car. Helen joined them on a couple of school runs to assess the problem, and it took us just two weeks of daily 20-minute use of the VR room where he completed the VR journey to and from school operating the traffic lights. He was given control of the situation that he had previously felt unable to control. Mm -hmm. From that day onwards, they were able to use the short route to school and Sam entered the school in a, a very happy and relaxed way. He learned through VR how to self-regulate his own behaviour. Wow. Students with fears and phobias are now able to build, like I've said before, their own private secure library on how to cope with social situations that ordinary people take for granted. The National Dental Association praised us at their annual report meeting and because they reported 100% success rate of our love students attending the dentist surgery because we mocked up the um, virtual reality dentist surgery we went down to the dentist that they used we mocked it up when we came back we had the um, role play equipment as you mentioned earlier we had that as well but we actually had the real VR scene of the actual dentist that they used so they actually went to that dentist every time they went into the VR room. Helen, our HLTA, has been brilliant, has represented OMI that I spoke about at the National Autism Conferences mm -hmm. in the UK, showing how an immersive VR room can reduce anxieties and phobias if you use it in the way that we've used it. Wow. It, so it sounds like there is quite a bit of setup and so you would, you know, have to send somebody out to video the dentist office or the dental surgeon's office, right? I mean, um, you, you, you do photos, you do photos and create three, you take a, a 360 degree camera is what you do. Right. And you do that. It wouldn't be video, it'd be a camera. You might take out a recorder to, for the noises as well. Um, but it tends to be that you take photos of these things, although you could do videos as well. So... You mentioned at one point that parents um, had input as to what they chose yeah, situations. What VR situations. Oh gosh, yes, um, because some of them um, couldn't take their children to certain places at all mm -hmm. um, because of the meltdowns. You know, one of one of the children, um, you know, had um, uh, injured his father to such an extent he had to go to hospital um, on a train um, because he he could not get off the train. Um, he, his fear, his, his, his anxiety levels were that high that he was just kicking out anyone who went near him. So, you know, th this is such an important, impo so important. And in, in my estimation, if you've got a special school, this is a, instead of using it as a multi-sensory room to just do topic work with, this is this is life changing and has been life changing for our students and certainly with one of the head teachers I've been working with in authority in um, England, um, it's it's been um, you know again with them it's been life changing for their students. Wow. Uh, so I'm wondering about um, as you're mentioning 
the the lights and the little orange spots on the floor and getting all of those things set up. What kind of training and what kind of time investment in training for your clinicians and your teachers do you need? Um, I, I think that that might frighten some people, actually, because I know of, of um, certainly of a, um, a college in England and um, they've, got, they've got in outs because now if you actually do a search engine and, and you look for that kind of thing, certainly in the UK, people, there are some people who've jumped on this bandwagon and set up their own um, agencies. There's a disability nurse that's done it. And so she goes into schools and does it. But yep. To me, it's it's far more cost effective and far better for the CPD, the, um, you know, the professional development of your staff, for mm-hmm. them to learn how to do these things. Because if anyone was away or whatever, um, students who are neurodiverse often uh, they're used to the routines, the patterns, and what they do right. all the time, and that would be awful. So you train up a few people in it, and um, if you get the right people into Lots of people put in multi-sensory rooms now. If you get them in to train you how to do the camera, it took us about, gosh, half an hour to an hour at most for the training of the staff. That was all. That was all it took. And then it's the dedication and giving the staff the time to do these things. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't be sort of, um, if, if you're going to make this work, you actually give your staff that very precious commodity of time to do these things properly so that you have the success that you want. So it's not so so much about money. It's more about time. Yeah. And we all find ourselves short of time. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here, most of our clinicians, they spend a lot of time doing paperwork as opposed to actually being with their students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you're listening to this podcast and you are a clinician, a teacher, a parent, uh, somebody in administration in a school, how do you get started in this? You know, what can you do? Obviously, we want people to check out your website and to check out your resources there. But what's yeah, the that, that, that's what I would say is, is to go to um, anjandersontherapeutic.co.uk and then they can find links to my YouTube videos um, on all the different technological and therape- therapeutic interventions that can be used in schools. And most of them are very cost effective. A lot of them are free. You know, and I give you ideas of how you can introduce these things. And there's um, uh, a couple of videos on, on YouTube on how to introduce virtual reality. So, you know, um, yes. So there's plenty if you go to that particular website. I really love this topic. And I am so grateful that you've been able to come on the show and teach us all about how to use VR in our oh, thanks everyday. Thanks so much, Anna. That's really kind of you because at the end of the day, that's all I want is to help um, students who are neurodiverse to be able mm-hmm. to have, um, a, a, to, um, you know, survive really well in a neurotypical world. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's what it's all about, you know. I'm going to take a quick side note before I actually let you go today. I noticed that you have a book on trampolining for students. Oh, yes, yes. I want to, I really had to ask you about that. So can you just tell me like two minutes about trampolining and why that's so fantastic? Um, well, trampoline is, strangely enough, I mean, I've taught it for many years 
And um, there's, there's so many different ways, actually, of te teaching trampolining. So you don't teach trampolining to a child who has dyslexia in the same way that you would teach trampolining to a child who's got ADHD mm -hmm. um, or a child who's, um, I'm trying to think of, um, dyspraxia. Um, you know, which is in the past was perhaps known as clumsy um, child syndrome, because there are, it's so different. And in that book, it explains why they're different. I mean, a child with profound and multiple limb difficulties who's in a wheelchair all the time and can't move, you can imagine that trampolining would be entirely different for them than it right. would be for somebody with autism. So that it, it's vastly different how you teach trampolining. And in that book, I give you all all of the resources you could yeah. ever need. Um, so plus posters to put up, rules to put up, mm -hmm. um, lesson plans, everything in there. Um, it, it, and you could use it depending on whichever child you, you have. And as well as that, there are tables in there that I've invented explaining the differences between the different diagnoses that children have. So you can understand them better as well. And then there's a chapter on each of those different um um, diagnosis. So there's one on ADHD, there's one on dyslexia, there's one on dyspraxia, there's one on um, autism, and so on and so forth. So there's chapters on all of those, as well as showing you how you can get the best out of trampolining for those students, because you can't have, um, it, it's like saying about a mainstream class, where certainly in the past, people would go in and expect to be able to teach 30 students and go in and, and teach them all in the same way. Well, right. how, how can you do that? You can't do that. You know, I every child's individual. That's so cool. I remember my daughter, Elizabeth, when she was alive, she, she was a wheelchair user and blind. And um, we, one time we put her in a bounce house and we oh, bounced great. around her yeah. so she could feel the sensation. Of course, we told her what we were doing ahead of time because yeah. yeah. she wasn't able to see. So we didn't want to scare her. She was like nonstop laughter the entire oh, time. Yeah. It was oh, such yeah. a they fascinating And I tell you, it's, if, if you get a physiotherapist coming into school and they want to take the child out to do physiotherapy, you can see the look, the dread on the child's face of yeah. I'm going to physiotherapy. You show them a little sticker showing them they're going off to trampoline and they can't wait to go. Yeah. And yet you are doing physio the with thing. them. Yeah. the trampoline yeah, yeah. but it's the bouncing it's the fun it's the oh uh, we would take in a load of balloons and stick them on the trampoline you mm -hmm. know we would do we would get under the trampoline and, and um, move them from under the trampoline oh there's just so much you can do with a child who's got sensory deprivation through the trampoline and I mean there's loads of ideas for that in the book and links to where you can find out more. There's an association in the UK called reboundtherapy.org who do ever such a lot for students with PMLD. And the guy who invented it, um, um, Eddie Anderson, brilliant, brilliant guy um, who I know very, who I know um, quite well. Um, it, oh, he's, he invented it, and he he is just amazing. Like, he's in his. 80s now and he's oh, wow. still still working with students <laughs> with profound and multiple limb difficulties and still on the trampoline wow you know, what an amazing guy yeah well yeah. Ange, i'm so impressed with you you first of all you're a prolific writer and and speaker and leader in this field and the the breadth of work that you have is just 
amazing. Oh, and thank you. again, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to check out your um, your website and then all of your other resources on your social media, because I just in the brief time I had to look into the things that you're doing, I was so fascinated and I really want to dig a little deeper. So I'm going to do that. So if any of our folks here, our listeners have any questions, please feel free to get them to Ange, or if you want to reach out to me, I'll be happy to field them for you. This is obviously a new and fascinating field, VR, and um, I'm sure we're going to be seeing so much more of this. So thank you again for coming on the show, Ange. So nice to meet you. And you too, Annette. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.